This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casaz of the Sunrises in Morgantown, West Virginia, on Monday morning, Oklahoma in the rearview mirror, Texas Tech coming to town. Chris Anderson, apart from Texas, excuse me, apart from Oklahoma to Kansas, Oklahoma to Texas Tech might be as welcoming a bounce back as there is in the Big 12 right now. Well, you say that, but did you not hear that Texas Tech's starting quarterback is hurt, which means West Virginia is going to give up 50 points this weekend to a backup? Yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> and for those who don't know, um, starting quarterbacks out, which means uh, Columbia is back in, who uh, I don't want to say is terrible. I mean, he has experience as a starter. It's not like he's never started before. It's not like he hasn't had good games before. In uh, in West Virginia's history with backup quarterbacks, not great. West Virginia's history against Columbia, not great. Um, I mean, last is last year, yeah, last year, he was completed eighty percent of his passes, ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown, and they beat West Virginia with him at quarterback. So I don't think it's something to rest on with that from that angle. But then again. Defense hasn't been the problem with West Virginia. It's been the offense, and Texas Tech's defense looks like well, uh, looks like the Texas Tech defense that that we all grew up with. Three hundred yards passing, three hundred yards rushing, nine touchdowns by the Longhorns Saturday <laughs> against Texas Tech's defense. Um, and Texas offense last seen having a really hard time against Arkansas. I'm not going to compare Texas Tech to Arkansas, but. You can certainly see that it's a fertile ground for West Virginia's offense on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. at home. And then I'm interested by the crowd. We'll see who was heartened and who was discouraged by Saturday night. And we'll also see how many people thought it was cool to chant for Caleb Williams. Do you think that's a factor at all? Wow. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. I was thinking about that during the game of, Hey, at least the fans weren't doing that, um, you know, during either the second or third game, the, the two home games so far. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, that, that's something to consider, to something to watch for this game. Um, I mean, it, it was notable, noticeable and notable, I guess, uh, how loud the crowd got when Green came in. I mean, it was it was clear that he was a fan favorite, but at no point were the fans chanting for him to come in over Daggy or for Daggy to sit or whatever. Um, but, you know, if, if things go poorly to start this Texas Tech game, I, I I wish fans would not do it, but I can't say it's going to be out of the realm of possibility. Having some time to reflect, Chris, is it as simple as we made it seem on Saturday evening where 
it was a pretty narrowly defined lane for West Virginia. Mountaineers did a pretty good job staying in there until they didn't. And when they slipped and when they went left to center, or when they went on the rumble strips on the right, it, it all went to pieces. I'm not, I mean, I think you nailed it right after the game when you said that West Virginia had a game plan and they needed the game to go a certain way. They needed to do certain things to make a game ugly and slow and ball control. And they did all of that except for a couple plays. And that's kind of been the story of this season of this I don't want to say maybe the whole Neil Brown era, but I mean, all three law or two losses and a win. Uh, the the three competitive games so far this year for West Virginia. I haven't seen like all three games are like identical to me. Uh, like pretty much like I, I know the defense gave up more points in the other games, but the offense also turned it over six times in those two games, which put the defense in even tougher spots than they were in on Saturday against Oklahoma. But it's the same three games to me. Uh, defense plays great, except for a couple plays here and there. One drive here or there. Uh, the offense is struggling to do anything. Uh, turnovers, miscues, some offensive line trouble. And then it comes down to two, three, four plays that define the game. And in Maryland, it broke one way. Virginia Tech, it broke the other way. And Oklahoma, it was back the bad way for West Virginia. So, I, I feel like it It was West Virginia did what they needed to do. They put themselves in a position to win the game. And then it just came down to those handful of plays and they just couldn't convert. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of bold to say that if they kick a field goal or they score a touchdown and they go up 16-13 or 20-13, they win the game. But then again, I watched that defense play for 55 minutes and I could really believe that. So I understand the regret there and and. I think it's always easy to say, well, if they just scored, they would have won. But I kind of think that's there probably is some truth to that. I think that they defend differently with a lead than they do with a tie. Um, I've kind of revisited that last drive a little bit, and they look a little scattered and like a, a more forgiving on the drive than they had. But I listened to Josh Chandler Samito, and he said they, they kind of got caught with some things that they hadn't prepared for, they hadn't expected in that time, things they hadn't seen or hadn't seen very much, which means that Riley picked out the right plays at the right time. And then 14 plays, 80 yards, didn't get a third down until that 12th play of the drive. So they had something up their sleeve for that 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 moment there. And I think that was as bad timing as anything for West Virginia is that the mistakes were compounded by Oklahoma finding some offense or, or retrieving the offense or finally reaching that top shelf and dusting off the offense and getting it to where it wanted to be when it had to happen. And I guess that's the difference, really, is that when Oklahoma needed the offense, it wasn't there um, before that moment. But Oklahoma could do that. When West Virginia needs the offense, you get a, a wobbly snap, um, you get a penalty, you get you know a ball missing the mark in the end zone. And, and that, that kind of separates the number four team in the country from a team that thinks it can win the Big 12 now. You've read some of the postgame comments now. You listen to Neil Brown afterwards. They seem motivated. We mentioned, is this more like 03 Miami or 13 Oklahoma? Attitude-wise, it sounds a whole lot like they're they're mad and they think they're going to see this team again in Dallas, which leans toward 03 Miami, huh? Yeah. I When you asked me that question after the game, it, got, it, I, it didn't register with me exactly what you were getting at. It took me a minute, and then I realized, oh, yeah, after that Miami game, they routed off whatever it was, six, seven straight wins to finish the season so strong. 
And you're right. That every single player, almost to a person, has been on Twitter saying, we'll see them again. We'll see them again, implying that West Virginia is going to make it to the Big 12 championship game for a rematch with Oklahoma. And that confidence is not, uh, I mean, it's not just misplaced, overconfident, you know, trying to psych yourself up kind of team stuff. I, I posted a story with some recruits the other day, and and after they watched the game, their feeling was West Virginia can compete with that. West Virginia can win the Big 12. One player came right out and said, I'm picking West Virginia to win the conference, even after that loss. Yeah. I think, you know, people look at this are looking at this differently. A lot of West Virginia fans are, are seeing this game and, and disappointed. Um, while players are more motivated, recruits see the success and, and think this is a legitimate contender. Um, you know, I put up that ESPN football power index uh, predictions every single even with the loss. Every single game for the rest of the year, they gave West Virginia better odds than they did a week ago to win those games because it's there. It, 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 winning is there. It, it's, it's in place. It's just getting those handful of plays. It's getting this offense a little more kick-started, and, and you can get over the hump. But getting over the hump is the hardest part. So I don't, I'm not sitting here predicting West Virginia is going to win out like they did after that Miami game in 2003. But the pieces, the ingredients are there for that. That player you're talking about, I hadn't heard of before, the player who says they're going to win the conference. Uh, hadn't heard of him. His name is Beal Brown. <laughs> you sure that that guy's actually in our database? Amazing. Hey, to be fair, you have heard that guy. We saw him together. He was a recruit on campus. And... Uh, that's Nathan Robinson for those listening. Um, but I know Mike's joking around, but you, you, you did see him. You are a recruiting expert. You do know who he is. A real player uh, does believe um, they have a chance. And I think that that's the attitude you have to have is that they, they were not impressed by Oklahoma Saturday and, and are mad because they let that one slip through. I know we talked about the Miami game that year in 03, but when they went and dumped Virginia Tech, uh, I think it was like 24 to 3. It was no contest that year. And then they smoked Rod Rutherford. Larry Fitzgerald was on that team. Um, trying to remember. No, Antonio Bryant, maybe. I don't know. And then beat Pitt really good. And all of a sudden, you had some there. They won seven in a row, and, and they got beat pretty handily by Maryland in the bowl game. But that, that was kind of a turning point. They they realized they weren't that bad, and they could beat teams if they just cleaned things up and played their game. They were good. West Virginia's game. I don't know. Um, we'll get into the questions here. But the one question I have is, like, is this what they're going to do? Maybe they're at their best when they're – kind of managing possessions and trying to be efficient. But, man, winning with 20 points, 24 points as a goal is not very good. I don't think that's the way they want to play. And I just wonder what the expectations are reasonably for Saturday because they're playing a team that isn't very good defensively. But if you look at their first three games, they played some good defense against teams with a pulse. Um, one was an FCS team they kind of were lucky they got a win against. But um, Houston, FIU, okay teams. 21, 21 points, play good defense, you think, and then it just it just blew up. So, I don't know. We'll see what the expectations are for people watching the game and attending the game and also for the people playing the game. Do they think they should go out and have their way on offense? Are they going to be a little bit more calculated and controlled? Are they going to keep this quarterback routine uh, in the experimentation phase? Do they expand it? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some questions to that effect, Chris. So, rather than belabor the point, let's jump into it. Questions from subscribers, answers from you and I, Chris, I don't know how we describe ourselves. Experts seems a little <laughs> too much. Um, but answer as many as we can. 
you will clean up with a written format with questions we don't get to sometime later in the day or the week on the site. But let's begin. Well, let's let's stay on the same note that you just touched on, and and I'm going to address it to you because I know you did a, a little bit of research on Neil Brown's time at Troy and what they ran there. Uh, I know was, a lot of that was on defense, but this one from Timber Pimp has Brown always been this conservative? Question. Obviously, he won games at Troy, but when is he going to figure out that sitting on leads in the Power Five isn't going to cut it consistently? Mike, is this was this his strategy at Troy? I don't really recall that, except for maybe in that LSU game uh, when they upset LSU. But w- was this his, his strategy, get to 20 points and hold on? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, his first year, I'll scratch out just because I guess it was year zero. That's what you do, right? Mm-hmm. But 16, 17, he had pretty good teams and offenses. 18, same thing. 18, he had some quarterback issues he had to work with. 16 and 17, they had an identity, and they went with it, and, and they were good, but they had some running backs they could lean on. They had a bigger back that they, they could kind of control the game with. And, you know, I think he's talked about that before, too, is that he kind of wants that powerful player that you can use to lean on defenses and wear teams down. And, and it, it may not be a feature role, but it may just be a couple carries a game or a couple series a game where you can kind of dictate a little bit and you take some time off of your offense by having a powered runner. That's one thing I think about here is he hasn't really had that, even even the person on campus really, where you look at these players they're bringing in, Anderson, um, Johnson, um, the kid next year, I'm, I'm slipping his name right now. Um, who's the running back committed next year? Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Similar size, build speed, things like that. But you don't really see that powerful player. So, uh, listen, the offense is the offense, but I think when you think about philosophically and, and leaning on a player or a way to win to protect the lead, I just think they did it with that running game. They were able to do it. Um, 18 was difficult for him, different for him, because the personnel changed and they had some quarterback issues. But I think if you look at those 16, 17 teams, they had a way to go, and they were good at getting points and getting out in front and then controlling the game from there, still scoring and still getting you know, decent point totals, but never really had a high-scoring offense, better than he has right now. But if you look at things like um, point-per-play point differential, yard-per-play differential, which means what they gain per play, points or yards, was different by a significant margin than what the opponents allowed. So they're playing complementary, too. I think that's encouraging because that's not new to him. He knows how to play with a defense that can work. He knows how to maximize his offense. So if you can build the gap between what your defense allows, points per play, yards per play, and what your offense generates, points per play, yards per play, you've got a formula there. And then again, his efficiency ratings and some of that analytical stuff was really good those two middle seasons at Troy and again I'm just studying them because he had the pieces arranged the way he wanted to that said does he have the pieces arranged the way he wants to here I think he has the offense in a corner now and he's trying to figure out where to go and what to do he's got the defense exactly where he wants it all right uh this is going to be kind of semi-related here and you you partly answered it but from Mahoney Coach Brown just called you guys and offered you co-offensive coordinator positions for the remaining eight games. The job is simple. We need to score more points. What do you do to fix this offense? What's your? I'll let you. I'll let you give your pitch, Mike, and then I'll give mine. Well, I just talked a bunch, so I'll I'll keep okay. mine limited. I'll keep mine limited here because I think we're going to go in the same direction. I think, and if not, I'll circle back. But yeah, I'm doing something with quarterback for sure. But I'm I'm adding a lot of pre-snap stuff. 
I'm I'm shifting, I'm motioning, I'm using jets, I'm I'm doing a lot of that that spinning axis in the background, because I just don't know that they can blow people off the ball or that they can run by people at the snap. So I'm going to try to create deception. I'm going to try to create kind of unbalanced fields. So I'm going to have you leaning one way, and you're going to think it's going this way because I have seven people on the side of the ball, but bang, it's going the other way. You know, I'm going to have Winston Wright getting a lot of touches on the run or Sam James getting a lot of touches on the run, but I'm also going to make you think that's happening, and I'm going to have Letty Brown go the other way or I'm going to have my quarterback bootleg the other way. I want to use things that I can. And if I look at the second play from scrimmage against Virginia Tech, they had that that double motion by Lockham where he went from right to left and then from left to out wider left. And that was just a simple thing, but it really screwed up Virginia Tech's defense. And that's what you have to do, I think, if you're West Virginia. That was a great investment dividend there. You worked on it, you sprung out at the right time, and it worked. And you haven't really seen it deployed a whole lot since then. Now, the other thing is, can they do all that shifting and motioning and line up and not have procedure penalties? I don't know. We'll see. I'd hope so. <laughs> but I just think that that's one thing you can do. There there are technical things I think you're going to get to, but I would I would do some window dressing here, and I would try to create some numerical advantages, some, some smoke or mirrors, maybe smoke and mirrors. I would try to do some things pre-snap that change the pictures because if you think that West Virginia's offense is predictable, and a lot of people do, well, all of a sudden, if you're just making it look a little bit different or a lot different before the snap, you negate that advantage for the defense and you create an advantage for yourself. We're going to coexist as co-coordinators very well, Michael. I can tell you that because we, everything you just said there, we saw we saw glimpses of it in this Oklahoma game when, when Garrett Green was in on one particular play, a couple plays, and it was Reese Smith who I don't think played any other snaps as a receiver except for these couple plays, and would motion over, swing back from, I believe it was the left side of the field as a left side receiver, slot receiver, and then come out as like a, a third running back in the backfield with them. And the defense, they didn't know what to do. It, 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 and West Virginia didn't end up doing anything crazy after the snap, but just lining that up with like a three, four-man backfield with two running back or a running back, a quarter, a running a running back, a running quarterback, and a receiver, they ju- it just seemed to fluster them. And then West Virginia just ran a standard kind of like uh, a standard handoff and got big plays out of it. And and so I'm with you on this pre-snap motion. I saw some of that. Uh, guy, something I saw on Sunday Night Football last night with the Packers, Devontae Adams was on the left-hand side, started to motion towards the right, and you saw the defensive back that was – supposed to be on in man coverage with him and he saw it too and the defensive back tries to go out and around and over all the linebackers thinking that Adams is going to go all the way to the right hand side of the formation and as soon as he does that Adams stops turns back to the left they snap the ball and he's got an easy touchdown in the flat it it was it was beautiful that kind of pre-snap stuff is is it, it works it works up and down uh the football ranks. It works in the NFL, works in college. We've seen West Virginia try it some and and had success with it. So I'd, I'd do more of it, just like you're saying. And yeah, the quarterback thing is, it's a thing I'd make it. We've been calling for it since week one. Um, it, it's, and it's not so much that, Hey, I'm expecting Garrett green to go out there and run for 200 yards and throw for five touchdowns. I, I don't know if he can do that. I mean, we, we haven't seen, we've seen him be able to run some, but 
his ability to maybe do that opens up so much more. And it and it seemed like it in real time during the game that that just the threat of him as a running quarterback opened up lanes for the rest of the offense. And the stats, however limited they are, are backing that up. You know, went back and looked at the Oklahoma, um, the Oklahoma plays uh, or the game plays against Oklahoma. And when Letty Brown ran the ball with Garrett Green running that read option with him, Letty Brown ran four times for 38 yards, almost 10 yards a carry, and got three first downs on four carries. When Letty Brown ran the read option, or even standard other runs, you know, just standard handoffs, with Jarrett Dagey at quarterback, 11 carries for 18 yards. Not even, what is that, a yard and a half per carry? There's no threat. In that one play, that I think it was the Letty Brown 20-yard run, and credit to uh, was it Kirk Herbstreet on the TV feed, he called it out right there. He, he, they put it on replay. He saw it happen in real time. He put it on replay. And both of the linebackers, both of their eyes, you know, if you had, if you drew a straight line over center up and down the field, both of those linebackers there went to the left thinking that Green was going to keep it. And Letty Brown, meanwhile, was running free to the right for a 20-yard gain to get West Virginia in the red zone. It, it, it works. It's, it's, there's no denying it. There's no denying that Green, just Green being back there opens up bigger lanes for Letty Brown and the rest of the offense. So I, that would be my big change. And again, that's nothing new. I've been saying it for a few weeks. And no, I don't think Green is perfect. No, I don't think Diggy's terrible. I think, I think Diggy's just kind of hit his ceiling, and this is what it is. And putting Green in there just opens things up for the other playmakers on offense, more so than it's a huge upgrade of Green personally over Diggy. Uh, that's a good way to put it, I think. It's not, it's not just about the one player. It's around... Yeah, the people around the one player. It's the skill position players that may make life easier in the offensive line. Um, that's a good point, too. Uh, which one of us is calling plays in the red zone? <laughs> we'll just play it by ear, play it by feel, see how we feel about it, and kind of go with that. But, well, but, if it's us, no one's going to ask us questions about it, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> so, correct. The secret will be safe. That is correct. Um, again, on this on this game that just happened, I, I had a couple people ask this two different ways. Uh IXTKE420 and WV Blessed. Um, first, was, which loss to Oklahoma was worse, this game or the Tavon game, uh, the one with 500-plus uh, all-purpose yards? Which one was, was worse for West Virginia is, is part one. Part two, which one was WV closer to winning? I think it's a great question because similar to – Again, like similar to 03, I think a lot of people remember that Quincy Wilson run over Brandon Merriweather on the catch and run and think that they won that game. And then I think people remember that Tavon Austin game and remember that West Virginia won that game because how the heck do you lose that game, right? Mm-hmm. So to have a, I mean, a seminal moment in, in university history and not win the game, that probably really stings. So eh, we'll see. That was such an interesting team, an interesting point of the season that 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 team was not what people had hoped it was going to be. And I think yeah. by that point, you know, I'm not sure the ship had sailed, but I think the people in the port were probably not optimistic about what was going to happen that season. This one's different to me because I think you saw that 
you know, while Tavon was a bit of a gimmick that night, I don't know that you would call what happened Saturday a gimmick. I mean, certainly it's a shifting of gears, but that probably is more toward their potential, at least immediately. And then there was a lot of hope attached to it, you know, just the fourth game of the season. It's not later in the season like the Oklahoma game was that year. And I think people really want to see this work at this point because there's time left in the season. So if you had to ask me the fact that this one's earlier and people are trying to see this, this, you know, let's continue the the ships here, see this barge turn around. They want to get it going in the right direction again. That would have been a, a pretty significant way to accelerate that development and to have it drop you at two and two instead of three and one with a win over Oklahoma and a lot of validation. I think this one probably hurts more. I'm with you. This one, I think this one hurts more. That one team was what five and five, four and five or five and four, somewhere around there at that point in the season. It was, it was much later in the year already, quite frankly, a disappointment. You know, that that's 2012. That was when they started out beating ranked teams, move, scoring 70 points, moving into the top 10, top five, and, and then just fell apart. So at this point, I, I don't, want to say there was no disappointment, no sadness after that loss, but I think at that point a lot of people had kind of we're looking towards basketball season if you will. Um mm-hmm. and and as far as more winnable, I think it was this game. I do. I mean, I know Tavon was going crazy, but something else I think people forget, West Virginia was losing that game like the entire game. That the the Tavon game. They were losing for the majority of the game and losing by two touchdowns for a good chunk of it as well. So it wasn't like they were like this game where quite literally West Virginia was leading for, or or was never trailing in the entire 60 minutes of game time with the only time being, you know, the, the kick as time expired. Mm -hmm. So as much as, Hey, was it, I can't remember. It wasn't a Tavon touchdown, I don't think, but West Virginia scored, but didn't get the two point conversion. And I guarantee you there was a collective West Virginia was up. Was it five? I think four or five. And so then it was, if Oklahoma scores a touch, then they win. And everybody was already resigned to the fact that there was two minutes left in the game. Oklahoma's going to score and win. That's it. Like there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Oklahoma was going to score a touchdown at the end there. While I feel like at this game, there, there was this feeling that West Virginia is getting into position before the, the, the snap situation to kick a game-winning field goal, to to score with very little time on, and the defense would hold. And I, so I think they were closer to winning this year, and this one hurts more. I was looking back at that box score the other day. Landry Jones threw for 554 yards. Were there 554 yards of offense Saturday? <laughs> yeah. I, I Let's see. It's got a, it might not even be that high. Team stats, combined total yards, 559. Oh. <laughs> 559 between the two teams. Barely beat out Landry Jones's passing total. But that that was what that game was. It was like Landry Jones was just having a field day. So there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to score and win that game at the end. I believe Bailey had like a dozen catches for 200 yards and four touchdowns too. Um and then I think Gino was something crazy, like 25 out of 35 or whatever, if I remember correctly. But also remember that Oklahoma was just loaded. They had Jones. Uh, I think the running back was was Damian Williams, who went to the Chiefs and was a pretty good player there. Uh, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Stills. I'm trying to remember who else is on that team. Jalen Saunders. Like, they were, they were loaded. There was a ton of offense in that game. I don't know how many pros played Saturday. 
um, maybe more on defense than on offense. That'd be interesting, but totally different script um, nine years ago. <laughs> um, <clears throat> hey, well, this is more of a general question. I don't want to, I don't want to, we're, we're not going to say names here, um, but did you know, and this was brought up by a couple of people and, and they asked for specific names. Again, we're not going to say specific names, but just a reminder, maybe a break in this podcast or, or the Q part of this podcast, but we could talk about it. We're at the four game mark, Mike. Is this a thing now where after the fourth game, it's just this week of dread for coaches, for fans of, okay, I got to make it through the next seven days and hope that a bunch of people aren't transferring. That That's just going to be the future now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's just the way that now, because you can go without sitting out and you don't, I don't think you're shamed anymore because of it, like that they've made transferring so easy removes one obstacle for you. And the fact that, listen, this started four years ago, I think Mm -hmm. really when you do the four year red shirt rule, I think it's four years now. This is the fourth season. I just, it just made it easier too. So I don't think that it's just, it's old enough now and you've seen enough people do it. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see flight risks here for anybody who, I don't want to say matters. I'm not concerned about starters or future pieces here. I think that people who transfer in, they get a look at it and say, this didn't work. I got one last shot at this, right? Because you, you do. Um, I'm not sure how many players in this team could actually play again, but there's a couple who transfer in who could transfer out again, and you wonder about that. Um, I don't think that there's like a blemish on your record anymore if you're a guy who leaves. The trouble is, can you work and you go? If you can't cut it here right now on an offense that can't score, are you going to be a, a skill position player that is coveted somewhere else? Um, defensively, maybe. We'll see. But I'm not sure who's hanging their head on defense and wants to get out of here. So specifically here, I'm not sure how much of a concern it is. But I think at large, sure, if your team is 1-3 and three and you thought you had a chance to be, you know, 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, what do you think players are going to do? They're, they're going to exercise the some of the luxuries that they have at their disposal now, too. And it's the fact that it's four years in more common and so easy now i just don't think you're going to see a lot of people who are like oh i can't do that that wouldn't be the right thing to do it's legal it's almost encouraged at least by the other side and it's almost a way of living now too if you're a coach you got to be you had to be a little worried about that about what happens four games in for sure yeah it's just a strange somebody posted about it on our board and there was some discussion and then he kind of got ragged on and it was like i it's not rag on the guy for asking the question because that that's the reality now like if you don't think this is this is in the minds of the coaching staff all over the country, um, you know, you're being naive. This is just the way it is. And, uh, you know, haven't heard anything in particular about West Virginia. I don't see, you know, a, a Giovanni Stewart situation coming up here. But who knows? I didn't, did, I didn't see the Giovanni Stewart situation happening. So I can't, can't say you didn't see it coming and then it happens anyway. Um, it would be discouraging because I think they were – I mean, if it happened now, that would kind of go against what progress they think or hope they're making is it a deviation i don't know but it would would be discouraging because i don't think they can afford to lose a whole lot of pieces on either side right now either yeah well there you go the way you think it's going to go and 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 for the rest of the year i have you ever heard of symbol symbol s-i-m-b-u-l-l a little bit okay so this is not a promo this is not a promo but yeah i've had to do my research on it um this is from florida wvu uh basically a symbol is a stock exchange for college and sports teams. You're not actually buying part of the team, but you're 
I, I think it's basically just, I mean, in, investing in the stock market is kind of gambling too, but I think it's just gambling. You're, you're buying low on a team and hoping that it gets better. West Virginia, two and two right now, a heartbreaking loss. And Florida WVU asks me, says, if you were a symbol market advisor, how would you sell me on WVU football shares as being a profitable investment between now and December? Okay, for those listening, how are, what argument can Mike and or I make to convince Florida WVU to buy stock in West Virginia at a low price, presumably right now at two and two, and sell it later because West Virginia finishes eight and four, seven and five, gets better. Mike, would you like to make the first pitch? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, listen, they it's it's gonna you're gonna have it at one level right now. If they put up a ton of points Saturday, the price is going to go up. Mm-hmm. So you have a profit opportunity right away because I think people may be like, well. Let's see what happens Saturday against Texas Tech. And then I'll make a decision. Well, if if they're authoritative on offense and as expected on defense, well, the cost of doing business just went up. That's one. Two, there are now two ranked opponents remaining on their schedule. Are you frightened of Baylor in Oklahoma State? No. But you could have wins against ranked teams. What does that do to your, your price? Um, your tough games... I think even without numbers next to their name, your tough games are Iowa State and, and Texas. Guess what? They're both at home. There's an opportunity there. So the immediate benefit of buying now is that it might be harder to get in or or more expensive to get in a week from today because, the yeah, this team is going to turn the corner. Let's wait to see. What if it happens? What if they do get a bunch of points and all of a sudden Texas Tech is rendered helpless again on defense? Eh, and that's hard to get in. And then you go on the road and you beat a ranked Baylor team. And is Baylor very, really good? Or are they just one of the 21 best teams in the country right now? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But all of a sudden, if, if they have two wins in a row, one's against a ranked team, that's good. If Oklahoma State's still ranked a while later, that's another ranked team. You know, Iowa State's at home, Texas at home. The schedule is kind of is helpful there, too. The ranked teams aren't powerful. The I think the best rosters that are left are coming to Morgantown. And you better get in now because if those things go in their favor, it's going to be hard to get in. You're going to have a harder time making money on something that's going to maybe take off quicker than you think. Yeah, I think this is, I'm assuming the price is low. I'm not that familiar with Symbol, but, you know, I got, I got the concept here. I'm assuming price is low right now, and and I would buy if, I, I my suggestion is buy. This would be listed as a buy. Not buy or hold if you already have it, because can you take a stab, Michael, at, where the three FBS opponents West Virginia has faced are ranked in scoring defense right now. Hmm. Take a guess at where you think the lowest one is out of one through 130. I know Maryland's top 10, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Oklahoma's got to be near there, right? I would say so, probably top 25. Oklahoma is the lowest. It, Oklahoma is the not counting again. Sorry, LIU, not counting LIU for this discussion. Oklahoma is the worst scoring defense that West Virginia has faced this year. They are currently ranked 20th in the nation. 
And I, I know Tech's 14th. 15, 14, okay. And uh, Maryland's top 10, correct? Yeah, Maryland is eighth. Here's so, the problem. They all have yeah. a common opponent. <laughs> That's true. That is true. But Virgin, we've, we've seen them do it to other teams as well. And Virginia Tech held a UNC team that's got a Heisman candidate to 10 points. They held a middle Tennessee state team that, you know, might be okay on offense to 14 points. Um, and, and Maryland again, top eight. I, I don't know if Illinois is exactly the best offense in the country, but Kent state, they can score a little bit, got them 16 points. So I think it's, it, it's something to note here that, not just the defense part. I, I think, well, I guess the the first argument is, can the offense get any worse than it's been mm-hmm. through the first handful of games? Um, so you're kind of assuming here that it's going to get better. And two, the schedule is going to get a lot easier. Uh, well, somewhat easier. I, I mean, you just played the presumed favorite in the Big 12 Conference that is ranked number four in the country. You've already beaten the number 15 team in the country. Maryland is now in the top 25. So you played three ranked teams in four weeks and came out two and two. And we're in it with a chance to win the other two. The rest of the year, as you noted, only two ranked teams. And are you really afraid of Baylor or Oklahoma State? I mean, Oklahoma State has looked terrible this year. They were Their offense has been way off. Their defense leads the league in missed tackles. Baylor has played three garbage teams. Um, not to be too, I, I'm trying to sell here, so I'm going to be hard. Iowa State, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I well, I wasn't counting Iowa State as the three garbage teams. It's Kansas, Texas Southern, and Texas State. Who yeah, you know they playing playing some FCS D2 schools out of Texas, and then Kansas, and then they got Iowa State, where Iowa State outclassed them in every single statistic in that game. And Baylor still won. So you, you look at that, and you're like, how good is Baylor? I get they're 4-0, but I think, what, what is that stat where it's like the the, com- the average average record for like if every single team played the same schedule? Hmm. Like how many other teams in the country are 4-0 with that schedule? Texas State, Texas Southern, Kansas, and Iowa State. I mean, I think like 90 teams are finishing with it going three and one against that. At least 90 teams. Good point. So, yeah, I'm not sold on I'm not sold on Baylor yet. I mean, they could be good. I believe in Dave Aranda. I think they they can play some defense, but it the rest. This is something we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. Was Oklahoma being first in the Big 12 conference? Yeah, I might start you off 0 and one in league play, but it kind of just you get over that hump and now you can see the rest of the season and say it should be all easier from here and it should. And that's why I would buy West Virginia right now. If I were, you know, in this stock market scenario. Against FBS opponents. So we take that FCS game out. Um, Tech 17, Maryland 25, Oklahoma 40 in scoring defense. It's still pretty good. Um, yeah. Oklahoma's played, Oklahoma's played Tulane. And I don't think people realize how good Tulane's offense is, but. Um, West Virginia's offense points per game against FBS opponents, number 88, 21.3 points. Oh, I'm surprised it was that high. It's actually down from last year when it was 23.2. So against your best teams, it's, it's, it's whatever the second half splits and 
that's that's a long <laughs> you're talking let's see that was nine and then let's see 12 opponents here so pretty much a full season you're looking at like 22 points a game against fps opponents suboptimal yeah but that's your low entry point and if it gets better you look smart um here we go this is a quick one because i don't remember i don't remember this but you're you're at more games than i am you've been doing this longer than i have from wvg 13 do either of you guys remember a team having a home game as a top top ranked team in a close game remember the fans chanting for the backup qb and booing the starting qb who is supposed to be a heisman contender um obviously referring to oklahoma fans um chanting the backup quarterback's name on saturday's game do you ever remember that happening like um, not just at west virginia but in any game that you kind of been to i'm sure it's happened i i never remember that i know people just hated brad lewis i remember he got hurt on i want to say it was senior day and I, maybe it was late in the season but he broke his collarbone maybe and the crowd cheered and that was nauseating um i know that like paul millard did not have a lot of fans i don't ever remember them like cheering or, or wanting like Clint Trickett to come in or, or Ford Childress, I guess, would have been first. I don't remember that because, uh, again, when the wheels kind of fell off from Millard, they were at Oklahoma, ironically. And then the only thing that's even close is, like, Skylar Howard's love-hate relationship with the fans. <laughs> um, like, I know he got booed, and I remember he, like, egged the fans on. That was the closest thing that I've experienced there, and that was kind of an unfortunate thing because, like, say what you will about Howard, but, like, he was – really good guy <laughs> like he was easy to deal with and and i don't i mean he knew what was going on as well as anybody else and had to deal with it but this the odds of that happening here sure even because the fans are are, are pretty passionate but the stakes are so much different i just like oklahoma's got a national championship possibility they have a national championship offense i'm not sure but that's what probably drives me crazy. But man, the audacity to boost Spencer Rattler <laughs> and chant for yeah. Caleb Williams um, is wild to me. And even if I have seen something similar with Skylar Howard, it's just a completely different comparison because of where those teams are headed or were headed, I guess. And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, and I know you will, but was Spencer Rattler really that bad in the game? I, I think Oklahoma has issues. Like us, but a lot of them are the offensive line, which maybe makes Rattler look worse than he is. But was he that bad? If their opponent was wearing white jerseys and burnt orange pants, I don't think he gets booed. Right. It, just, so you're think, saying you're saying Oklahoma, the fans thought they were going to win by thirty. Yeah. And here's a team that's never beaten us. You know, we score 52 points a game against them. Lincoln Riley's got their number. They can't figure out their quarterback situation. Lucky to beat Tech. I think if they were watching a team that was from Austin, Texas, they're like, man, they got a great defensive line. Wow, coaching staff had a really good plan to come in here and do this. Or, you know, hey, this was just a low-scoring game against two good defenses, and the offenses are brought down to that level. It would be a totally different um, perception, I think. Gotcha. I'm with you. I think that's a good take. Um one more here from Crowtown here. This is something that we talked about a lot in the post game, and I'm curious if you noticed anything. Um, why does it seem we have great creativity and imagination when Brown and Parker developed the initial script of plays 
and then everything falls apart after that script is finished. It, are you noticing a big difference in the actual plays, or is it just execution, or what? I need to go back and take a look at this. I don't know how to do it short of watching all three games again, which I'm not really interested in doing, because I know if I ask the question, I'm going to get an explanation that is probably going to sound good, but isn't going to look good on my screen. So I need to have some, like, I need to have the, the organs and the intestines and the lungs and all that stuff, because the skeleton I'm going to get probably isn't going to be functional. So to answer that question, I just don't know. And when I watch the game, I just I'm just so familiar with their offense now that everything kind of looks familiar, which I'm not sure is good and it doesn't make me smart. But I'm just kind of accustomed to it in such a way that I've seen that play. I know what they're going to do or I think I know what they're going to do because I recognize this and this spot in the field, whatever. And that just comes from watching 26 games. But. Are the opponents like that? And that, that would be concerning to me. Like, do they get into a thing where, like, hey, their first 15 or 25 plays are from a script of plays that has worked pretty well? And, again, maybe it's 20 plays and it's it's nine calls, but they just keep repping them. It's not 15 different plays and a 15-play script to start the game. But they get away from it. And, like, for example, that, that, double, motion, <clears throat> that double motion I talked about against Virginia Tech, I think they ran that two other times, which means they did, but it didn't hit for an ADR play. They get hit for a couple times. Their gap schemes against – um, Maryland were good early on. That I just didn't see it a whole lot, but didn't have a tight end that game. So I don't know. Like there's there's a lot of variables there. I just can't say. I I just have a hard time believing that these guys make all this money and have one canister of plays that they can use for one part of the game, and then they just put that on the shelf and never use it again. I I have to think that they're using them, but I have to think that there's probably specific plays in there that maybe are just meant to get somebody on track. Are meant to get a first down or meant to hit and get somebody involved but again can just the analogy is really good like why isn't the plane made out of the material <laughs> that they made mm -hmm. the black box out of like why can't they this thing that survives the crash well why don't we just use that to protect the whole operation and i i just think that there's something to be said about that like if these things work to start the game why don't they work in the course of the game too one more thing that i, I wanted to take from our from the questions here in the mailbag, I thought was I I didn't notice it. Maybe you did. Um, from Jayberry twenty one says that you know in the first half West Virginia was doing their usual leg lift and clap for the snap, and that gave and Oklahoma seemed to have a good a good jump on that. Uh, a lot of people calling for offsides, but in the second half he says that they didn't do the clap as much and asked if they'd switch to a traditional cadence and maybe that kind of caused some issues did you did you notice that while that was going on because i did absolutely. not absolutely you did I was, okay i think that was a halftime adjustment because brown was um and i even think they said this he was pretty mad about them jumping and that's this is something i'm going to ask about too he was pretty mad about them getting something um and this has happened to this happens to quarterbacks in the past like not just west virginia i remember will Greer had a problem with it against iowa state when they were at iowa state which would have been 17 hmm. is that right um clap hands down and go. And when you're a quarterback and you're snapping the ball 60 times a game, you you just get programmed to do that. And I thought that year that Iowa State was jumping. This happens every week. You can see guys do this, and especially when you're in a comeback mode or something like that, because one, you're in a hurry, and two, um, the defense is coming anyways because they know you're down. But that wasn't the case. So I think that West Virginia was concerned that maybe there were some bad habits there. Um, also, when you're switching the quarterbacks, their cadences are so different sometimes, their routines are so different that it can screw up your offensive line you might remove that altogether because if that's a variable when you're taking two quarterbacks in and out, get rid of that variable, make it a universal as best as you can. So that might've been one reason they did it. I talked to somebody 
um, this was yesterday, so this would have been Sunday evening. Here's, an, here's something that may have happened, and I don't know. I can ask this and try to figure out. But if you take that away, what is the cue? And West Virginia used motion quite a bit in that second half. And the center's cue could have been when he sees the motion come in, snap soon. Like, he knows that things will be set. Give that guy a chance to get in his position. And then when the quarterback sees the motion guy come in, he has to know the snap is coming. So let me turn my head around. I'll find the ball. And that didn't happen on that fumble. Like, if you look at it, the motion comes across, Daggy's looking to his left, and Frazier snaps it. Well, what if the mechanism was motion is the cue? If you're Frazier and you're looking between your ankles and you see the motion, you know it's time to snap soon, and Daggy should be looking. Now, I've never heard that before, but that was explained to me by somebody who played offensive line and thought that might be a way that that went. Um, that's interesting to me, but I did notice it. I noticed they had one thing and they went away from it. It might have been two quarterbacks. It might have been they were just trying to – not let Oklahoma jump it like they were, but I, I did notice that, and that's a good question. Like, were they predictable? And they get did they get caught in something there? And is that a concern going forward? And as you're explaining that, and as we're as I was reading the question, and you were explaining it, and it was happening, all I'm thinking about was a question from last Tuesday, where he was Neil Brown was discussing the quarterback rotation. And one of the things he said was, it's not fair to the offensive line to change anything about the game plan for the different quarterbacks. And I, you know, maybe, maybe the change was because of the quarterbacks, maybe the change was because they were getting jumped offline. But uh, that's all I'm thinking about is how he said that, you know, it's not fair that you're, you're teaching them one way, one way, one way, and then asking them to also learn other ways as it's going on. And that's a tough spot to put that offensive line in, especially a center, if you're changing when it's going to be snapped, who you're going to be snapped to, and it could fluctuate on any given play. Tough yeah. spot. Yeah, and that again, that motion thing I'd like to know more about because I can't believe they'll just leave it up to that. But again, in silent count, sometimes a lineman will, will, will see something and he'll bob his head or he'll he'll set or something. You can watch it all the time. But like, I wonder if that, if that motion was a cue. Let's just say the motion passes over and then the left guard says, all right, he's over here now. Bob my head. Frazier sees it. Frazier snaps it. And that's got to be connected. But um, I wonder what happened there. Was it just miscommunication is such a, a broad label that might not be fair to Zach Frazier there. It might have been a whole lot of things that went on at once. And if one little thing goes bad, the whole thing can go bad. Yeah. Uh, Mike, any others you want to touch on from the pod or, or from the mailbag? Again, I'll be answering the rest of them in written form. But was there any one you specifically wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Well, there was a good magic wand question. I love the magic wand. If you can wave a magic wand to add one player from WV's pass, who would it be? We kind of did that before. I'm not sure my answer would change. I'd, I'd still like to have Chris Henry. And, and again, and we're putting the qualifier on it here of no quarterback. Correct. Because, I mean, the answer is like Will Greer uh, probably. And like West Virginia probably wins 10 games. But magic wand, qualifier, no quarterback. And you're going Chris Henry? I think on offense, that'd be great. That was my answer before at the start of the season, I think, about if you could bring somebody from the past to do it. They just need that that receiver who can who can go up and, and take balls out of the air, who can run by people, and he was a treat. The one on defense interests me now because I think we said Irvin before, correct? Maybe. Would and you, well, I, I wouldn't change anything on defense. To be, I mean, not yeah. anything. Uh, yeah, of course I would. But if I had to pick one, I'm probably thinking five different spots on offense before I even think about anybody on defense. Yeah, so – 
who from the past would you add on defense now? I think I don't again I don't have the transcript in front of me, but I'm wondering if we both said Bruce Irvin before. Or if he said like a cornerback before, like Pac-Man. Yeah. It might have been our answers actually. I I really enjoyed Daryl Porter. And that's not a surprise to me, I don't think, because like that kid's pedigree is is legit. And he's playing highly confident football now and, and making plays and 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 holding things down. Um their safety play is good. Could it be better? Sure. I wonder if you might add a, a safety now instead of a corner defensive end. I'm not sure you touch a defensive line. And their linebacker play has been all right. Like they've got a good thing going now between Lowe and Dix, and they're about 50-50 timeshare, and they're both pretty productive players. Josh Chandler Samitos, I would say, handled that transition very nicely. Um, Bartlett is now twice the playing time of Callum, but he's earned it. He's been productive, so that's been okay. Um I don't know. Like, that's a good question. Now, who would you add? Would you add? I mean, sure. To have a terror coming off the end, like Bruce Irvin would be good to have just a, a, a gifted athlete corner instinctually, athletically like Pac-Man at corner. Terrific. You could do that, I guess. But I wonder now, having seen the defense, if you might think differently about it, like you don't have to prioritize a defensive end because our line is so good. You don't have to prioritize a cornerback because that's been all right. Might you add a safety? Might you add? Uh, a nickelback or something like that. I don't have an answer for that one. I think it's a. I think it's a good question that people might have fun trying to answer now because the defense has answered a lot of questions. My answer right now, and I think I can't remember what we said. What I said, I think I was either either Irvin or or Pac-Man on defense. If we had to go that route, because I was concerned about the cornerback spot. And but Daryl Porter, or Jackie Matthews. I know Matthews is playing all over the place, but th- they filled in nicely and playing really well. So I'm not as concerned about that right now. It'd be uh, Yadni Kajust. I, I got to have a left tackle. Um, Ooh, good one. I, it, Brandon Yates, it, it's, again, we, you kind of see it with your eye, and then the PFF grades are, have been very bad for him all year long. And West Virginia won't even go that direction. I talked about it in the postgame pod. The, the official game score, I, I should go back and check that with PFF, see if they agreed. But, or just to film myself and see if I agree, but noted that every single run was middle or right, never to the left. And a lot of the pressures that have been on Diggy this year have come from the left-hand side, from his blind side. So that needs to get patched up on that side. And, and I'm not sure what the answer is here. I, in the preseason, even before fall camp, I said my wild prediction for the depth chart was to put Doug Nestor out at left tackle. I, I didn't trust what was going on out there, and I wanted to put Nestor there. And and in the spring, they said they were going to give him a try there, and they never did. Um, I think it's too – I don't want to say it's too far gone. I think it, this is not the time to to sample that, move him from right guard to left tackle in the middle of the season. So I'm not sure what the answer is to that right now other than trying to ride it out with Yates or hope that maybe Hubbard can, can kind of step up. So if I had to pick one Magic Wand player – um, I like the Chris Henry one, but hey, receivers have been okay. Like you're Sam true. James yeah. is doing better, huh? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, you're, you're making a lot of sense here. I'm, I'm, I'm listening, going. That's actually a really good idea because that would fix a lot of things in the passing game, probably too. Things that have more time down the field. I like it. Yeah. Defensive back. I'm just trying to figure out who you, who you would take from the past. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I would put a corner over somebody now, but I just feel like, man, if they had, if they had a safety that could really fly around and do some things and. But maybe they do. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it now, guys who come through. Um, I mean, Carl Joseph would be one. Would, he'd be a, probably a pretty good player back there. That's too easy, maybe. But, I mean, I'd like him in that 
that cat spot, that'd be a lot of fun, I think. I'm not saying John Mahone's been bad. I think Joe's is better. I think there's probably any arguing that. But um, I just feel like the, the defense has answered a lot of questions here. Thought they'd be thought they had a chance to be good. Um, to say that I thought they'd be this good this soon, um, that would be a lot. <laughs> I thought they would get there if they had a chance to get there. Maybe not be quite as good as last year, but you know, if you're not number five in the country overall, you can still be a top 15 defense and still be pretty good. This team looks like it has the the composition to to again be one of the best at different things. Um, you know, it could be pass defense, could be pressure on the quarterback, whatever. But they have the talent and, and the scheme to be elite at a couple of different things again, which is a really good sign because a lot of them are um, are going to be here for a while, I think, or plugged in right now to go. But what, I'm not saying future years. I'm saying like they're they're situated right now for the rest of the season. I know like Dante still, Sean Mahone, Alonzo, would have, they're all gone. That's not what I'm saying. Like they're going to be on the field this season for the rest of it here. It's not like they're going to be finding this in November. And you get to the end and be like, oh, you know what? They had a chance to be good, and they got there at the end. They're there. Like, that defense is there, and they're not going anywhere. Like, that's going to be a that's going to be a, a mouthful for every team that they have, they have to take on the next uh, eight games this season. Good sign. Yep. Well, that's it. That's it, I think, for the mailbag, Michael. Again, uh, Tuesday morning, like usual, we'll c- close the book on uh, Oklahoma week. Uh, right before we meet with Neil Brown for press conference at noon and, and switch gears to Texas Tech. So uh, anything else you got coming up? Text from game day already up. Scheming up a screen share for tomorrow morning. Chris, uh, Bob Huggins, news conference today. Have you heard? Yep. I have. Do you? Should I pre-write the transcript or do we want to wait till we actually get on the call with him? Um. So I, 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 just a little birdie stopped by. Um, uh-huh. You're not going to believe this. I bet I will. Guys are making shots. We like those guys. Wonderful guys. Uh, we give them a hard time, but it's going to be a good team. I, was, I, I, I look for a piece I don't know. Maybe it, it depends on what other recruiting stuff comes up, but look for a piece maybe either this week or next, maybe during the buy. I was kind of trying to wait till the buy, but I'm just itching to write it. I have a hot take that this team might be better than it was last year, which I mean, it's hard to replace Deuce McBride, but it, it, it there, there's some reasons. There are some reasons why this team might be better than it was last year. Did Deuce McBride get a lot better last year? After the season, there's a take. Oh, boy. Like, is he 20% better now because he's in the NBA than he actually was last season? Possibly. Or his game, his game is just – his game is NBA game, I think, is also part of it. I think he was better suited for the NBA maybe than he even was for college, and he was pretty darn good in college too. Like, really yeah. darn good. Yeah. They'll, they'll miss that drive, I'm sure. Like, yeah. competitive and, like, just – kept them going in low spots and in hard moments, which that team didn't have in previous years. Listen, let's not do basketball right now. There's a lot of basketball to come, but um, yeah. yeah, that's the, like, that's where we are in the calendar. Now you have a football team that's two and two with the defense that's arrived and an offense that's got some things to accomplish, but right around the corner basketball, they'll be practicing before you know it, scrimmaging sooner than later at this point, And then um, season starts earlier than normal. And a lot of work to do because they have so many new pieces and, Perhaps you're right, Chris. Perhaps they get to be better than they were last year. We'll see. Yep. Until then, I'm Mike Azaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.